Welcome to Theology for the People. This is part one of a two-part episode that we recorded on the topic of where did we get the New Testament canon or the New Testament scriptures? Like, how did we get the New Testament in the form that we have it now? There's a lot of misnomers out there. Everything from that Constantine wrote it to it was decided at the Council of Nicaea to, you know, all kinds of nefarious conspiracies. And um, I just want to answer some of those questions and debunk that. What did happen at Nicaea? What did it have to do with the New Testament? Where did we actually get the New Testament books? At what point were they considered scripture? And what role, if any, did Constantine have to play in this process? And is there anything we should be concerned about in that uh, in actuality, looking at church history. So in this episode, Mike and I talk about some things related, especially to the Council of Nicaea and Constantine. And in next week's episode, we'll have part two of this same conversation in which we talk about the actual process and the history of how the books of the New Testament were recognized as Holy Scripture and which books were disputed, how those disputes were settled, etc. So I hope you'll enjoy today's episode. Make sure you turn in, tune in for next week's as well. Welcome to the Theology for the People podcast. This is Pastor Nick Cady, and I am joined today by Pastor Michael Payne. Hey, Mike. Hey, how you doing? Good to be with you. Yeah, good to have you. Um, Mike, just so you know, and so all our listeners know, all the episodes that have you in them are our most popular episodes. So I don't know if it's just because we're choosing good topics when you're on or if it's that people like you. There's more no than coincidence they like me. whatsoever. <laughs> All right. So, hey, here's what we're going to talk about today is the canonization of the New Testament. Basically, how did the New Testament come into being in the way that we have it now? And how was it formed? There's a lot of misinformation out there and also a lot of confusion out there. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, people say, oh, it happened like this when it didn't actually happen like that, or people just don't know. But why is it, why do you think it's important for people to know where we got our New Testament from? I think, yeah, I think it's probably one of the most important things. You know, I think for me as a Christian, one of the things that's really built my faith is Christian history, knowing where where I came from and what on what foundation my faith has been built and I think it it adds weight as you go back year after year after year and you see where where scripture came from and how tradition and how the bible has been worked out in generation to generation I think it's for me every time I study church history or I study about where the scriptures come from my faith my faith is built and it's not it's it's built on something solid and and I think that's so important I think for any especially young believers I think knowing where knowing where your bible came from I think is essential I, You don't think it's like Christian history isn't kind of like visiting a sausage factory where you're like sausage maybe tastes good but watching it be made is really disconcerting <laughs> Um yeah and I, I totally believe it. And I, I, you know, as in our past podcast before I said, you know, I'm, I'm the, I can be sometimes the church's biggest critic because I grew up in the church. I've been in ministry for more than half my life. I've seen the good and I've seen the bad. And, and, and for me, it just reinforces why we need Jesus, why we need 
why we needed that sacrifice on our behalf that happened on the cross 2,000 years ago because we are, you know, we've all fallen, fallen short of the glory of God. There's nothing good that dwells in us, nothing. And and without God, without those, without, the you know, that redemptive power in our lives and, you know, we are hopeless. And history reveals that to us. But history also reveals to us, you know, the effect of the of the gospel on our generation and how how through the centuries God has proven faithful over and over and over again and it's undeniable that in 2000 years of history how much attack the church has come under how much attack the scriptures have come under and how God's word has always come to the top and always survived every single attack. And I think when you look back and you just look at the weight of all that, you can stand on that and and know that the Bible that you hold in your hand is true. And so for me, I think every every Christian, if you haven't had a chance, should go back and should take some time to study. You know, go back and see where our scriptures came from, why you know, as we can talk about some of these things today, why, why, why those books were included, why these other books were not included, I think it, it just goes to building our faith because one of the ways that that a society attacks Christians is that they'll come at young believers and say, how can you believe in this stupid book that's more than 2,000 years old? It's archaic, it's antiquated, has nothing to say to this generation. And when you go back and you look at the scripture and how it all came together and you see all that through history, you see that it does have the power to speak to every generation. And I was just, you know, I remember this thing by this atheist. She said she came... One of the things when she came, she became a Christian, and and one of the scriptures that really affected her was was Jacob wrestling with the Lord, and and what it opened her eyes to is that we just don't accept things at face value. We take time to dig deep, wrestle with the questions, not just accept things. Oh, I have a Bible, and I'm just going to accept the words on the page. Yes, there's something to that, but we can go back and we can look at the history and and that's what some of what, you know, we do with this, you know, podcast theology for the people is we dig down into these questions, we wrestle with these topics. And and I think that's important. I think it's a way that we can build our faith. And that's what, you know, you were on the, the radio the other day and and somebody called and was, you know, wrestling with this this particular question itself about the the, you know, the canonization of scripture, the history of it. Yeah, so this text I got on the radio um, said like this. It said, uh, is it true that Constantine wrote the New Testament? Or they said, or was it King James? As if these are my two options. Was it Constantine or was it King James? And was it that in 300 AD, some people gathered to decide what should be in the New Testament and what shouldn't? And it was like one of these questions where I'm like, I don't even know where to start, but all of those assertions are wrong. They're very wrong. And um, so I, I went ahead and answered the question on the air, and I got a lot of feedback, and I offered people on the air an article about the canonization of the New Testament. And I got so many people who wrote in and sent me their email address to have me email them this article because it's just something that people don't know about. And there's been a lot of things out there that challenge 
the veracity of the New Testament. And one of the challenges they'll make is that there's always this claim that Constantine was involved, and there's this claim that something nefarious happened, and there was this effort to remove things that would teach things different than the church was teaching. Basically, they think it was a power play, and that those in power uh, did everything they could to make sure that certain books got in and certain books were hidden and got rid of. And therefore, the Bible, the New Testament, is basically the product of the church, if you will. And therefore, it shouldn't be trusted because the church is not a trustworthy organization, at least the Roman Catholic Church in their mind is not a trustworthy organization. And therefore, you know, it was Constantine. Some people say, no, 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 it was King James. Uh, clearly, they don't know who King James was in that sense. Uh, and they'll say, oh, it was something about the Council of Nicaea in, well, they said, three 300 actually took place in 325 AD. And so what are all of those things and how do they actually work? So let me uh, address those misnomers first, and then let's get into the actual history of the canonization of the New Testament. Uh, First misnomer, was it written by Constantine? Absolutely not. Second, was it written by King James? Definitely, definitely not. Uh, King James lived around the year 1600. He was a Scottish king. And what King James did is he authorized an English translation of the Bible from the Greek and Hebrew manuscripts. Now, these translations already existed in other languages. In fact, the Hungarian translation of the Bible was already out at that time. The Hungarian translation preceded the King James Bible. Um, But that's all it was, right? So, there, there had been other English translations of the Bible, like William Tyndale had made a translation of the Bible into English. It was an illegal translation, and he got in trouble for it. But this was the first time when an authority figure... In England, now again, in England, because it already happened in Germany, it already happened in Hungary, it happened in other places, but this was particularly the English translation of the Bible, and not from the Latin Vulgate, but particularly from the Greek and Hebrew manuscripts, um, which were put together by a guy named Diderus Erasmus, who started out kind of as a reformer. Uh, and, and I think he can be counted as a reformer, although he did come into some conflict with Martin Luther. And they didn't see eye to eye on stuff like the uh, sovereignty of God versus the free will of man. But Diodorus Erasmus was a rich person, and he had gone around and he collected manuscripts. And he collected this series of manuscripts, which we now call a Textus Receptus, which is the um, manuscripts, yeah, the oldest manuscripts which were known at that time, 1500s, 1600s. Uh, and this would actually be in the 1500s when this came about. Uh, that he created these manuscripts, or not created, he collected these manuscripts, mostly from Alexandria in Egypt, but also from a lot of um, Orthodox and Coptic churches that had these old, old manuscripts of the New Testament dating back to the first couple hundred years. And he put those together. And so the, that's what the King James Bible is. That's King James was a Scottish king who became king over England as well, because there was a crisis in England. And so the Scottish king became king over England as well. He authorized and paid for this translation to take place. So, he definitely didn't write the Bible. All he did was basically fund it, uh, fund the translation work into English. And then the question, was the Bible written in 300 AD, like when a group of people sat around and decided to do it? Uh, No. And also, it was 325 AD, which was the first, what we call ecumenical council, which ecumenical just means that the bishops of the different um, 
different areas. So, at the church, the church at that time was very much decentralized. And so, you had each area had a local leader, bishop, and these bishops ranged all the way from India to Ireland at this time. I mean, so, it was a lot of Asia outside of the Roman Empire, in Syria and places that were beyond the borders of the Roman Empire, and down into North Africa, and then uh, again, like I said, all the way through Europe and to the end of the earth, if you will, which at that time was Ireland. And so you had, um, you know, all these people came together, and the reason they came together, and here's Constantine's part in this, that Constantine had become a Christian. At least he claimed to have become a Christian. Whether he did or not is a matter of historical debate, and it's also a matter that's between him and God. But as he became a Christian, and maybe he was a flawed Christian, I don't know, but he um, looked around and he noticed that not all the Christians were on the same page about one thing. It wasn't actually about the Bible. It was, meaning it wasn't that they didn't have the same Bible. What he looked around and saw is that there was this group based in Alexandria who was following a particular leader named Arius, and Arius had a teaching which differed from the rest of the Christians, which was that he taught that Jesus and then consequently the Holy Spirit were not actually God, that Jesus was not God, that the Holy Spirit was not God, and that there, that Jesus was the Son of God, and he was kind of a big deal, but he wasn't exactly God. And so, he was teaching that, and some other people were kind of joining in with him in that, and joining, jumping on that bandwagon. And so, here's Constantine, and he comes, and he's a Christian, and as the emperor, he starts looking around, he starts talking to the leaders of the church. Because remember, Constantine did not make Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. Not at all. He just uh, gave what's called the Edict of Toleration, which means that Christianity went from being an illicit religion to being a licit religion or a legal religion. He just gave it legal status. So prior to that, Christians were usually allowed to kind of exist under the radar, but they were not allowed to build buildings. They weren't allowed to build churches. They weren't given church building permits. That's why the oldest church buildings in the world exist outside the borders of the Roman Empire in Syria. It's called Doma Europos, is the oldest church building in the world. And then the, the other oldest church building in the world is in India. So these were outside the Roman Empire because in the Roman Empire, Christianity was kind of allowed to exist as long as they, they uh, went under the radar. So, all that to say, Constantine comes to power, um, and uh, at this battle, it's called the Battle of the Milvian Bridge, he comes to power, and he becomes a Christian through this vision that he has, and then as a result of all of these things uh, taking place, he looks around and says, you Christians aren't all on the same page, and how do you expect Christianity to spread if you're not all on the same page? So, I want you guys to all get together, I'll give you a place to do it. And that place was called Nicaea, or rather, it's actually pronounced Nicaea. It's near Constantinople. And he said, you guys get together here and have this debate. And what they were debating, um, and they were debating the um, whether Jesus was God. They were debating what's called the Arian heresy, or the Arian controversy. And that's what that was about. So, that was 325. And as a result of that, he said, I want you to come up with a statement of faith, or a creed. So, out of that came the Nicene Creed, which was a statement that all the bishops agreed to, uh, except for, of course, Arius didn't agree with it. And those who went with Arius and still persisted in that were labeled as being heretical. But they, um, 
they agreed Jesus is God. That was basically the long and short of the Nicene Council, and it took months for them to debate this. But guess what they were using to debate it? They were using the Bible, the scriptures, the New Testament as the basis for it. So much more than uh, saying that they gathered to write the Bible or you know decide what goes in the Bible. No, no, no. They were using the Bible as the criteria for which they determined if um, if this was true that Jesus is God. If the Bible actually teaches that, that was the point of that. So again, so many, so much confusion around uh, Nicaea, Constantine. And and the like that really needs to be cleared up. Yeah, no, I've I've heard that argument before and and many times. And that you know online, you know, if you see a lot of these YouTubers and stuff that are coming against Christianity, they they always try and trip people up with that, relying on the fact that you haven't done your homework. And that's just kind of one of those myths that floats around. All that that Constantine wrote the Bible, and so we can't believe it. And uh, you know, that's just if you do two seconds of research on you know on the internet, you know, just go through a number of different sources, you know, it's it's very easy to debunk debunk that myth. So but you know, the question question does arise, you know, like then then how did they decide then, you know, what what the you know, which books are in the Bible, you know, which books are not in the Bible. You know, how did they how did they get to that? How did they come to that conclusion that this now the one that we hold in our hands is is the canon of scripture. And with that question, we'll end this week's episode. Make sure to tune in next week for the conclusion of this two-part episode and the answer to that question, where did we get the New Testament? How did we get the New Testament in the form that we have it today? God bless you. Thanks for listening. Make sure to rate and review on iTunes and whatever podcast app you are using, and God bless you.